This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love. Oh, praise God. Yeah. Amen. So today begins our week of prayer for uh, Laurie and 3,500 IMB missionaries around the world who are reaching the last, the least, and the lost. Laurie is, is serving, like many of our missionaries, in a place that it's hard, it's hard to reach. In fact, if you were watching our stream right then, we, it, it, you notice this, your, your TV screen would have gone dark. That was for security uh, reasons. And that's the case with, with many of our workers around the, around the world. We can't really kind of put that on, on, online, but we know them. The Lord knows them. And we're praying for them. And they are shining a light in some of the darkest places on, on earth. And we get to be a part of that as we send them, as we help to sustain them on the field. So every penny of our Lottie Moon offering goes to send and support those missionaries. Our church's goal this year is $60,000. And so you can give any Sunday, but next Sunday is very special. Next Sunday morning is our in-gathering service for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so we're going to ask you at the end of that service uh, to come forward with your gift. And even if you're giving at another time, we want you to come forward and, and pray for our, our missionaries. And so be in prayer this week. You have a prayer guide that's inside your bulletin that'll guide you for, in praying for different workers around the world this week and come prepared for next Sunday morning, our in-gathering. There's no more important gift. This is the most important gift that you will give this Christmas, the most strategic as we touch the world with the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for Laurie. We pray that you would bless her in the work that she is doing. Lord, as, as she builds relationships through the medical skills that you have, have given her at the hospital, as relationships are built, as conversations take place, just like the one that we, we just heard about, Lord, would you bless her? We pray for her health, we pray for her strength, we pray for her protection. We pray that you would fill her with your spirit. We, we thank you that you've opened the, the door just recently to, for, for Laurie and some of her, her teammates to get to vi visit in a, in a village that had previously, the roads had been flooded. And so the rains have, have, have slacked off enough so that they can go and visit people in that village. And we pray for that team as they do that. We thank you for the whole team of missionaries that are around the world pushing back the darkness and that we get to be a part of that team as we give, as we pray, as we go, as we send. Lord, we are a sending church. We thank you for the heart that this church has to send missionaries and to pray for missionaries and to support them. You've given us a, a local job to do, but Lord, you've given us a global, a global commission. And so Lord, we thank you that we get to be a part of touching the world with the gospel. 
Lord, right now as we get ready to dig into your word and look at a text that talks about your glory among the nations. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to see afresh how that can be a reality in our lives and through us in the world that we're living in that needs Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Martin Scorsese, in his, his great documentary about the, the great songwriter Bob Dylan, No Direction Home, uh, Scorsese uh, is interviewing the songwriter and, uh, and, and he, he asks, he's asking him about the, about the theme of his, 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 his work. And Dylan thinks about that for a moment. And then he says, it's about coming home. I've been, I've been away somewhere and I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find my way back home. And that theme of coming home is a theme that we see in the songwriters of Scripture, in the Psalms. And in this new series, Home for Christmas, we're going to look at some different psalms and see that theme of coming home, returning to God, returning home to him. And we see that theme really not only in the psalms, but throughout the Bible. The Bible begins with God giving us a perfect home, which we forfeited because of sin. The Bible finishes with a perfect home, the ultimate home, the new heaven and earth that God has prepared for his people. In between, we see this theme of coming home. The most famous parable of Jesus is about what? It's about coming home. You were not made for the pigsty of the far country. You were made for home, to come home to a father who welcomes you to a savior who loved you and gave himself for you. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 57 this morning. We're gonna talk about a home for all nations. In Psalm 57, David is in a situation where he is far from home, and yet even in that situation, David sees that God has, has a plan for him and his deliverance, but not just him. God's plan is to be exalted in all nations, a home for the nations. As we look forward to our end gathering for Lottie Moon next Sunday, this is a great text because it's all about God's glory among the nations. It's about all peoples finding their home in him. Psalm 57, if you would follow along in your copy of God's word. David says, be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. God, 
be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will, we, I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. What do we see in Psalm 57? First of all, we see something about a refuge in God. Let's look at verse 1. David prays, be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me, for I take refuge in you. What's going on here? Well, some of the Psalms kind of have a little heading that's written above the beginning of the Psalm. This is one of them. It says it was written when David fled before Saul into the cave. This was a time in, in David's life before he had become king. He had already been chosen by God as king, but Saul was still clinging to power, and he was insanely jealous of David. And even though David had done nothing but be loyal to King Saul, Saul was desperately clinging to power, and he, he, he set out to murder David. Saul, who still had the army and all the power of the state behind him, was chasing David everywhere. And so David finds himself hiding from Saul and Saul's forces in the darkness of this cave. What a dark night of the soul this had to be for David. Johnny Cash had a dark night of the soul that also occurred in a cave. By 1967, Johnny Cash was one of the, the biggest stars. He, he, on the outside, he had it all, but his life was coming apart. He was hooked on drugs. He was down to 150 pounds on his six foot two frame. His face was hollow, his eyes were lifeless. And one day in October of that year, he got in his car and he drove east from his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee to Nickajack Cave. And he stumbled into the darkness of the cave. He walked as far as he could walk. And then he got on his knees and he crawled as far as he could crawl. He was like a sick animal that was looking for a place to die. And that was his intention. But there in the darkness of that cave, as he lay there in the darkness waiting to die, the light of the living God came to Johnny. And that's what happens to David here in this cave. It's a dark night of the soul. 
And the living God comes and meets him in the darkness of this cave. He, again, he says, in, he says in verse one, I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. What an image that is. In the shadow of your wings, taking refuge in, under the shadow of his wings. This reminds us of something that, that, that Boaz uh, says about Ruth and Ruth too. Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and how you came to a people you, you previously didn't know. That reminds us so much of our missionaries, right? Leaving father and mother, leaving their native land, coming to a people they had not previously known. And Boaz says, may the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now we see the same image on the day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week. In Matthew 23, Jesus is descending the Mount of Olives and he looks out over Jerusalem and he's weeping. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And that tells us something else about coming home to God, about taking refuge in God. It's a choice. And we see that in, in David's language here in verse one, don't we? He says, I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings. David knows that this cave, although it is offered a place of hiding and a place of refuge, David knows that he can't rely on this cave. In fact, a cave can sometimes turn into a trap. Barry Beck was a 34-year-old geology professor who led a group of his students to a cave in the mountains of Georgia and they had followed an underground stream for about a mile when suddenly the stream began to rise. And the water that had been dripping from the sides of, of, of the cave now began to gush with water. What they did not know is that while they were in the cave, the hardest rainstorm to hit that mountain in half a century had come and it had exerted water pressure that was causing the water to come in and the water to rise. All they could do was get up on a ledge in a cavern and wait. They eventually made it out. But all they could do was just hope and wait. As David waits, he knows that his ultimate help, his ultimate refuge is not going to come from this cave. He was a military guy, he knew that this, this cave could easily become a trap. He couldn't rely on the cave. But David knew that he could rely 
on God. And so can you. David says, I take refuge in you. Let's look at verse two. He says, I call to God most high. We just sung those words earlier. Lord most high. No one and nothing else will do. But God most high. He says, I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. When you are in crisis, what you must know is that God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you, and it cannot be stopped. Job says, in all of his trials, Job says in Job 42 in verse two, I know, he's talking to God, I know that you can do anything and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Is your God a little God whose plans can be stopped by people or is your God a big sovereign God whose plans and whose purposes for you cannot be stopped? You need to hold on to that in times of crisis, in the dark times. Look at verse three. He reaches down from heaven and saves me. You see, God most high is also the God of the most compassion. He reaches down and saves us. In fact, the message of Christmas is that he came all the way from heaven to earth to save us. He gave his son, came to us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Lived the perfect life that we could never live and then died the death we should have died in our place for our sins on the cross and rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. that we can take refuge in him, refuge in God. Second, in verses four through six, we see something about a ring of fire. Verse four, David says, I am surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. David, David pictures the enemies that are hunting him down as like fiery lions surrounding him. If, if God were, were, not, were not with him, his situation would be utterly hopeless. But God is very much with him. And God surrounds us with a greater power than the forces of Satan. And 2 Kings 6 the prophet Elisha is surrounded, surrounded by uh, an enemy with chariots of fire who are all around the city of Dothan. They've been hunting him down. And Elisha's servant walks out at the break of day and he looks out and he sees this mighty army. They're utterly surrounded, a ring of fire around them. But Elisha says, don't worry. <laughs> Those who are with us are greater. And 2 Kings 6 tells us about it. Elisha says, don't be afraid. 
For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There was a greater ring of fire. God's ring, God's armies surrounding his child, his servant. And they surround you. <laughs> There's a great scene in uh, Band of Brothers and it takes place during the Battle of Bulge. And uh, these American soldiers had just been told that they are surrounded by the Germans. And so the commander of Easy Company, uh, Dick Winters, says to the person who gave them that information, he says, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. <laughs> That's what paratroopers do. They jump into places where they are going to be surrounded by the enemy. And in a way, we live our lives in this fallen world behind enemy lines. You know, sometimes we feel like the adversity that we face is like a ring of fire that just surrounds us. There's a greater ring of fire. There's a greater power. God's power. God's armies surrounding you, protecting you. And so you can be in the eye, right in the center, in the eye of the hurricane, in the worst storm imaginable, and you can have the peace of knowing that he's with you and that he's got it. You know why? Because Jesus has gone into that storm ahead of you. Jesus went into the ultimate storm. He allowed all of the violence of hell itself to converge on him on that cross. And if you know God through his son, then whatever situation you find yourself in, you can know that right in the middle of that, you've got a God, you've got a savior who walks on the waves, who's standing on top of the storm. And he's with you every second. Look at verse five. David prays, God be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. Now, this is incredibly amazing because most people in the situation that David found himself in would just be thinking about themselves. If they prayed at all, it would be, God, would you save my skin? But David's thinking about something bigger, higher. God, this isn't about me. This is ultimately about your glory. And would you be glorified in this situation with whatever you do in my life? And Lord, would you ultimately work in such a way that you will be glorified among the nations, that you would display your glory, that the nations, that all peoples would come to know and love and praise you. And that's the third thing that we see here, resounding praise. Let's look beginning with verse seven. David prays, my heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. 
I will sing. I will sing praises. David is in the darkness of a cave, but his heart is confident. Why? It says that he's, he's confident. You could translate that word here also as steadfast. You know why David could be steadfast? Because he knew God was steadfast. God is faithful. God's not troubled by the situation that David was in. He had the situation well in hand. No problem for him. Verse eight, wake up my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. It's still dark outside, but David says, bring on the instruments. Let's let the rising of the sun see us praising our God with our whole hearts. Let's wake the dawn and let's pray that people from every tribe and tongue will join us in giving praise to the only one who is worthy of it. Verse 9. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. God, not only are you, I believe that not only can you deliver me from this situation, but that you can deliver people from all nations. Because ultimately, this is not just about me, it's not just about Israel, it's about the nations. Your glory. It's about people praising you from all the peoples. This is God's plan. It's amazing the vision that David has here, not just for himself. It's about God's glory among the nations. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says this, it's easy to overlook the breadth of David's vision, forgetting that the shelter of the cave and the withdrawal of the enemy would have satisfied most men in the hard-pressed situation of David. But his thoughts had already soared above the heavens, and his Lord was no local ruler. David wonderfully looks up from his own urgent interest to his overriding concern that God should be exalted. Can we do that in our crises, in our challenges, in adversity? Can we look up and see, ultimately, this is not about me. No, God, it's about your glory. It's about you. And you're going to deal with this in situation that, in, in, in a way that not only is it going to redound to your glory and what you do in and through my life, but you're going to be glorified. Your plan is to be exalted in all the earth. It's about him. It's about his global purposes. Another Old Testament scholar, Tremper Longman, says this. After all, David's God is not a local, regional God. He is the God of the whole universe. Yes! Yes and amen! The whole universe. That's what the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is all about. God's glory among the nations. Look at verses 10 and 11. David says, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. 
We want all peoples to be lifting up praises to him. You know how that can happen? Because Christ was lifted up on a cross. Jesus says, if if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. And ultimately, he was lifted up to glory in the ascension, but before that, he was lifted up on an old rugged cross. This is God's plan. Because we are sinners in need of a savior. We need atonement. We need a savior from our sins. That's what the angel says to Mary. He says, you're gonna name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And this is our prayer, that Christ would be exalted in and through our lives and exalted among the nations. Let's pray together. And so Lord, may your glory fill the whole earth is our prayer. Lord, as we enter into this week of prayer for our Lottie Moon offering, as we have our in-gathering service next Sunday, Father, how we pray that you would fill our hearts with passion, with the power of your spirit to see the purpose of why we are here to know you, to make you known. And not just locally, but globally. As we pray, as we give, as we go, as we send others, and this is especially about sending. We pray for Laurie and all of those other workers around the world who are in some of the hardest, dark, most spiritually dark places on earth shining the light of Christ, that joyous praises to you would resound from every city, every nation, every town, every village. And that one day in our ultimate home, in the new heaven and earth, we will all join together in that joyous song of praise. As we sing praises to Christ alone. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.